You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with the full compliment, Dan and Jason. Hey. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Fellas, welcome back. It's good to have both of you here again. We are both here. So, uh, just a little bit of geek geekiness before we get into our geek weeks. Um, we have started in the planning of uh, a convention again this year. Yep, Guild Con 2021. Guild Con 2021 is happening on the successful event of Guild Con 2020 from last year. Yeah, it was good times. Born, born in the dark days of COVID, it will thrive and live a great long life, maybe. It GuildCon was born as a beacon of hope to all gamers who <laughs> wish to, you know, gather together. Yeah. <laughs> Deprived yeah. of a Gen Con, they looked at each other and went, "We don't need Indianapolis. We can do it right here in Jay's basement." Yes. So, so the question I have about Je- uh, GuildCon: Would GuildCon have happened if we decided we were going to Gen Con? Mm, probably not. Mm. Probably not. So this may be a a a uh what what do they say? It's not a it's not a streak. It's like a pattern. Maybe is that right? Two is not a. I oh, don't know. Oh, I don't know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, we'll see, man. If we had, what did we have, like eleven or twelve last year? At uh, the, we had more than that. To, oh, at the height. More than that. At the height. Of any there instant. There could we have been close to twenty, dude. At the and, height. And, oh, really? Yeah, on Saturday afternoon, I think we were close yeah. to. Like don't 20. say that, because then we violated Virginia. Shh. <laughs> Statute of limitations. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, listen, yeah, that was when, a year ago. When I when I passed a wedding. Now, right? Listen, when I passed a wedding to get to GuildCon, oh, there was like a yeah. hundred people out in the front yeah. lawn. I don't think they're coming for us. Yeah. Yeah. But, However, um, most of us have been vaccinated. Most of us are ready to go. They're starting to loosen a lot of the restrictions. I think by the time we hit August for our we, GuildCon. We may not have any. Yeah, we're going to be looking pretty good. Yep. Yeah. They're looking at mid-June. Virginia governor potentially re- remove the COVID restrictions that are in place. Yeah. So. And we may have friends from at least two other states fly in. Oh, yeah. Two time this, zones away. This could be it. Last year was 20. This year could be 30, maybe yeah. 40. And then yeah. the next year, 100. The One goal is, is for 20. We need to become a catacon. 100% <laughs> growth, Jason, every year. So 100%. 20 to 40 to 80 to 160 to a million. <laughs> we we gotta we gotta outgrowth outgrow your basement. No, yeah. I think you, you win orders have, of magnitude every time. Our listeners have no <laughs> idea how gigantic Jay's basement is. It is cavernous. It's not. It, it has like, its own kitchen. There's it it's gonna tongue. it's gonna be packed if we get forty people down there. Listen, that has nothing to do with it. It is gonna be a legitimate convention hall. Yeah, I didn't like my couch anyways. <laughs> Yeah. We'll just leave it outside. Maybe that's it gets right. <laughs> Every time I think of this, I keep thinking of that scene in Mystery Men when all the superheroes show up to the backyard and and the wife is like, <laughs> mm-hmm. when these people throw up in my pool, I'm divorcing you. And he goes, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Classic. Classic. All right. Well, gentlemen, how was your geek week, by the way? A pretty Dan. geeky. Go for it, Dan. 
Was it my turn? Okay. Um, totally binging out on Long Way Up, which is uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, their third series. The first series, Long Way Around, they drove from London through Asia, flew to uh, Alaska, then drove to New York on their motorcycles. And then on the second series, they drove down to Alaska. Uh, so drove down um, from through Europe, down through Africa, down to South Africa. And now they started in South America. This is like 12 years later. Um, starting at the tip of South America and driving all the way up to Los Angeles. So this is like a better version of Motorcycle Diaries. I love it. I don't know. I'm not familiar with Motorcycle Diaries, but I I really like it. Motorcycle Diaries is essentially the, like, autobiography or biography of Che Guevara. Yeah. When when he motorcycled through South America. These guys are... Really great. I mean, this is their third series. They know how to do it. So the third series, they did it differently. They did all electric coming up. So they got two electric Harley Davidson live wires. And when they drove them, they were prototypes. They were not production like they are today. And two Rivians, which are electric sport utility vehicles that are barely about to hit the market now. At the time, when they filmed in 2018, 2019, they were driving in Rivian 0001 and 0002 driving up and they punish these electric vehicles in a place with no infrastructure for electric charging. And I, you can see how they're struggling really hard. I mean, nobody, I mean, that part of South America is not ready for electric vehicles. Like, like we are, you know, with the reliability of our grid and all the charging infrastructure that we have. And these guys made it work and they turned it into a real adventure to push the technology. And yeah, you know, Ewan McGregor's there. There was a a really, you know, you know, there's the geek angle because he, you know, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. But um, you have to have a really cool Zen attitude to go on a 13,000 mile motorcycle trip. And you have to be prepared for lots of bad things to happen. And so I just got a kick out of it. It's on Apple TV Plus. I know not a lot of people have Apple TV Plus unless they bought an iPhone recently. Um, but I super liked it. And I got to the end of it. And then I started with Long Way Round with the series in 2004. So I'm totally binging on on two British guys riding motorcycles every day. <laughs> and talking to people, which is really great. And... I, I've come to the conclusion that if I could hang out with one celebrity in the world, it would be Ewan McGregor because he would be kind of the most normal person. And he's so kind to fans and stuff coming up to him all over the world. And, and I, I just think it's great. So if you want to watch it, I, it's very charming. And I, I give it two thumbs up. And it's got me excited about electric vehicles. I never thought I'd own, ever own a motorcycle in my life. And I'm thinking... I would buy a Harley Davidson live wire if I had the means and the spousal concurrence because that looks like a really exciting vehicle to drive. They're fun. So, so yeah. I love motorcycles. I had one in college and it was the best. Yeah, these Harleys were like silent. They make that buzzing electric vehicle sound from like sci-fi movies. Yeah. And um, they're like, they could they could talk to each other very easily without the bit, that big, you know, rumbling. So a lot of people like the rumbling. I get that. But this is just the future. And it was fun to watch these guys just punish these vehicles. Punish them. 13,000 miles on, a, on, a, on four experimental vehicles, four prototypes. It was nuts. So... Um, they didn't it wasn't smooth sailing they they had some real technical issues but i mean considering the punishment it made total sense 
Cool. That, that was one thing I'm uh, geeking out on. I really have the Klingon fever. I bought that Klingon version of the Star Trek RPG. Nice. I went online. I got the custom dice. I just bought a second set of custom dice sitting here waiting for you guys to start the podcast. I went on eBay and Heroclix had Heroclix ships and Heroclix <laughs> characters. That. So I got four Romulan birds of prey, six Romulan characters, eight Klingons, uh, two Worfs are in there. If you now, didn't you already have all those Star Trek miniatures ships uh, from the miniatures game? I had all those Klingon ships that I posted. I already had because I thought once upon a time before tabletop spaceship minis were getting really good, there was Heroclix. Yeah. Like yep. as soon as X Wing came out, and you know, Attack Wing was the Star Trek version of X Wing, and I never bought it because I already spent too much on X Wing. Well, but I, w- I, I remember would've. playing that at your house. Was it someone else's set? Yeah, no. Da- uh, our buddy Dan Mike. and I both bought into uh, bought into Hero Clicks ships, and we played it a long time and bought a lot of ships because the models were fun and painted and cute and small. Uh, but um, the the problem is, is the game is still Hero Clicks. And Got if you're it. flying spaceships around, they act like guys running around shooting guns, not like spaceships. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of the, the weakness there. But I kept all the models. I still look I, – I have a few of them on display. Um, so and, and then I had some Federation guys. So I went on eBay and got about 35 minis, and I spent about 80 bucks total so i think i made out okay and none of these are none of these are in production anymore so i had to buy a lot of 10 from one guy and a lot of four from another guy to kind of get what i wanted to get it's like Um, you're getting ready for a convention it is yeah i'm definitely running this i I, i'm worried though that the the module that i want to run is not going to be out in time for GuildCon, which means i got to write my own on a system. I need somebody to help me learn the system because it's different and I'm my, my mental... It's one thing to read about it and watch a lot of YouTube about it. It's another thing to sit down and try to run it. So yeah. I'm going to want it some some help to like... Yeah. The classic way to learn an RPG system is each two guys get together, you make two characters, and you have them fight. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. So uh, yeah. I have not done that yet with Star Trek Adventures, but I've watched a ton of YouTube video, and it's just not the same. So I, I need to really get into it and get a feel for it before I run it for people. So that's... And that's it's funny you say that. Years ago when I was playing uh, 3.5E uh, with a group, um, we were struggling with having like good balanced encounters you know trying to figure the challenge rating equation out at the time and so we just decided hey let's all get together one saturday and let's just have battle like it'll be battle galore right yeah so we we spent the whole time just creating like encounters and just having battles with no role play (laughs) just to learn the challenge rating of the system Uh, that's kind of fun sometimes especially if you get to level up a little yeah yeah so good so yeah i've got to learn it i got to learn the system I like the author of the system, and I see what he's doing to make it different and unique. But at the same time, I have to let my over forty-five-year-old man brain learn new things, and it does not. It's not as elastic as it used to be. So you gotta, it's like you gotta, you gotta drain part of your brain to make room for the other, <laughs> the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody get me a drill. So, dude, it's was... real. I feel that man. <laughs> the older I get. I feel like I got to lose stuff to put make room for yeah. new stuff now. Yeah, yeah. So new game mechanics, it's fine. I'll figure it out eventually. But it would be it'd be cool to be fifteen again and have another fifteen year old buddy in the in the basement, you know, figuring right. it out. Then, then me doing it in in between, you know, during my lunch break at work. 
That's McGeek Week. Who's up next? Uh, I will go. I will go next. Um, I didn't have the strongest Geek Week. I've got in-laws in town, so we're busy doing a bunch of family stuff. Uh, but there's two shows that we watched this week. Um, I'm going to start with the lighthearted fun one. Um, it is on BYU TV. It is a free app that you can get. Uh, you can log in for free on the internet. You can get a free app like on the Xbox or um, your phone or any device you want. And they got all sorts of like good family programming. So if you're looking for something for your kids to watch or something like that, there's so much good stuff on there um, to to show them. Great great programming, I think. Uh, and my kids like it too. It used to be back in the day. So when I lived in Utah, like BYU TV would be on the like the local like cable access station kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. And man, the programming there was real cheese fest. Like real cheese fest. Like it was like Public Saturdays. Access. It was like Saturday's Warrior stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they would show, like... That's a deep pull for our listeners we will not go deep into. I know, exactly. So, the point is, is, like, I was never a fan as a kid. I was like, oh, this is, like, weird church stuff. Um, But uh, now, like, it is just great programming. I mean, like, they got a lot of good stuff. But anyway... One of our favorite shows on there is called Dwight in Shining Armor, and it's about this kid who was out in the woods one day, and he fell through this kind of, you know, old uh, old airway and landed on top of a princess, and accidentally kissed her, and that awa- that awakened her from this champion spell that um, her sorcerer had cast on her like a thousand years before. Because she was being besieged by all sorts of enemies that the only way to get out of it was to put everyone in the kingdom to sleep. And that her champion never came except for this guy did a thousand years later. And so he's kind of this awkward high schooler and she's this kind of princess that's now living in a modern time. And uh, really great show. Super entertaining. And uh, it's like super light fantasy for anybody out there. It's like the G version of of uh game of thrones Hmm. how's that wow so my kids love it my eight-year-old loves it my 14-year-old loves it so i totally recommend sitting down with them it's funny show it's very entertaining um good it's really good stuff so that was geek uh geek week number one geek week number two that i had was um we also watched the first episode of the bad batch which is the clone wars kind of spin-off series that they put out there and man, did they have a lot of great tie-ins just in the first five minutes? So oh, yeah. they they tied it in uh, to Order sixty six, so you know exactly where this is taking place in the timeline, Star Wars timeline. Um, they had a great tie-in to Star Wars Rebels, um, even though Rebels takes place, you know, several years in the future from timeline timeline wise from this. Um, and, uh, there's just a lot of really good stuff. I just, I'm sitting here watching this, you know, this bad batch and I'm thinking, man, they really learned a lot of great lessons from the clone wars. Like the, the way that this story is evolving is, um, it's really telling me something. I'm hooked in with the characters. There's a lot of really cool intrigue. There's a lot of like good stuff that's happening. You know, there's party conflict, there's all sorts of, you know, good storytelling aspects that's happening in the Bad Batch. And I don't know 
I don't think that you have to have watched all the Clone Wars or the Rebels or even Star Wars for that matter to enjoy the Bad Batch. Like it's a standalone. It's a it's a standalone um, series that you could just pick it up. I mean, if you're you have to be familiar with Star Wars and and the lore, but you could just pick it up and watch it and you know you're not gonna get all the easter eggs it's kind of like the mandalorian in that aspect where like if you're really involved in star wars it's hitting you on a certain note and if you're not at all involved in star wars you're like oh this is kind of a cool show you know and you still like it so yeah yeah, the the first episode was 75 minutes and usually these things are like 24 and you're like yep is this still going when is this gonna end oh my gosh and we're gonna do more and more and more so yeah, that that was a, a pleasant surprise that they kind of broke the half hour cartoon format. Um, so it's close. The first episode is closer to the length of a movie um, than it is a TV show. And it was good. Did you see it already, Dan? I did. I'm. I haven't seen the second one just because it's yeah, been a busy we. weekend with mo- yep. you know Mother's Day and all that good stuff. So the second one I think is only thirty minutes. Is that's what IMDb is telling me. But uh, still, um, I, you know me. I'm going to catch up. Yeah, I just, I don't know about you, but I was very pleasantly surprised with this, and I liked the direction that they were taking it. It was really cool. Did you watch the episodes of The Clone Wars where they introduced the Bad Batch? I did. Yeah, okay, yep. so you already had, had some. Yep. I I was irritated. I knew that they were backdoor piloting, and I, I didn't really get into it when I was watching Clone Wars, because I was I agree way with that. more... I was way more interested in what was going on with the main characters and Ahsoka, and there were, there were so many un... You know, there were so many unanswered questions for the lore. I felt like the first couple episodes that they had with the Bad Batch is like, why are you introducing all these new characters right before you're going to wrap up the series? And right. it's because they were backdoor piloting, which is fine. And um, it helped if you want to, you know, go see those episodes. They stand, they, you know, you can just watch those. They stand pretty much on their own. You don't need to know a lot about it. Yeah, I agree. I think when they kind of put the Bad Batch into uh the end of the clone wars there i was like okay sure you know what i mean (laughs) if you have like yeah but um and so i wasn't super crazy about what was you know coming up uh in in this episode i sat down with my kids and watched it and about halfway through i'm like okay no i really enjoy this right now yeah. Like I'm really enjoying this. Like this is this was a good spin-off. Like yeah. I think if they had tried to shoehorn it in as another final Clone Wars season as an example, it yeah. just would have it wouldn't have fit and I'm glad it's a spin-off and it's 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 hitting on a lot of good notes. So Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of creating stuff. it's kind of creating like Mandalorian did like what happens to these bounty hunters and what are their lives like? And what would it be like after, you know, the end of return of the Jedi for a bounty hunter question? This the, one is what yeah. would it be like for a clone after the end of the clone wars? If you, if you, if your order 66 switched and click in your brain, how, how do you deal with your, your life and your purpose of life? And that's, that's kind of fun. And uh, it's different and different is hard in star Wars. Uh, they're not blowing up super weapons. Uh, yeah. JJ yeah. Abrams. <laughs> so, right. so, but they, they, they're doing a good job so far. So, so good. I'm happy with it. Well, and I will say this too, that um, it's really, they're filling a big gap that I think a lot of people had questions about, which is what happened to all the clones after the clone wars, yeah. you know, because they did the conscripts for the stormtroopers 
And, you know, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I don't care. Um, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a spoiler is Grand Moff Tarkin shows up in here. And he's, you know, talking about, like, the next generation of stormtroopers being conscripts. You yeah. know, which we know is going to happen. And so it's kind of showing, like, what happens to the clones after the Clone Wars? That That has always been an unanswered question. You know, Dave Filoni does a really great job of knowing where to connect the sinews in the universe to help it be a more consistent storytelling thing. And George so, helped a lot with that too in the in the Clone mm-hmm. Wars season. Go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. So does he? Did they answer that question early yeah. on, or is that question to be answered? Uh, I think it's in the. I think they answered a big chunk of it, but they're also processing through that answer right now. Yeah, like in so. uh, just the first couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, yeah. I've only seen episode one and you're starting to see like what's happening to the clones, like right after order 66. Gotcha. Because okay. in the star Wars verse, like order 66 happens and we pick up with Anakin trying to get out of Dodge. And, you know, we got the whole battle on the high ground thing and then Luke and Leia disappear. And then we don't catch up with star Wars. I mean, we catch up a little bit with star Wars and rebels before episode mm-hmm. four. Right. And by that time, they're conscript stormtroopers. So, like, right. there's a gap there that you're like, what happened to the clones? And Solo and, yeah. Solo happens before that. And even Solo doesn't have clone troopers. So. Yep. So, anyway. Yep. So, kind of interesting. Very interesting. So, I, I thought it was doing some good, good stuff. Some really good stuff. Yeah, and the so. char- the, the, you care about the characters and having the show be about you know, five different clones that are should be identical and making them all different and unique is is good and they've done it again. And it's really hard to do and they've done a, they've done a nice job. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I you know, Mandalorian I think reinvigorated Star Wars for me. I think when Disney bought Star Wars, um I st- it just be it was like there was too much Star Wars everywhere. It was just yeah. Star Wars the Star Wars that Star Wars eat Star Wars for breakfast. And it just it got so like over the top for me that I just I kind of took a step back and moved on to other franchises, That's and I really didn't come scenario. back to it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I'll shut up. Right. I should stop talking over you. <laughs> no, that's okay. It wasn't until kind of the Mandalorian that kind of really I felt like we were getting back to, um, back to the. No, I did. Now I know that there's opinions on this. I did enjoy the last uh, kind of story arc, you know, the Skywalker saga ending, but. Um, but uh, I think the Mandalorian really pulled it back to feeling just like that fun feel of Star Wars versus the serious feel that kind of took episode one through three were like very serious, well, uh, to a degree, very serious. Yeah. Um, whereas Mandalorian was just kind of, there it is, it's the Western and space feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but anyways. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I recommend checking out Dwight and Shining Armor and on BYU TV. Uh, download the app all over the place and it's free. And uh, check out the Bad Batch on Disney Plus. It was a great, great uh, episode. Yep, that's me. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go since I'm last, I guess. Uh, but uh, I, I built my second little house. Talked about it last time, right? Um, I, this one I did a little bit more to scale. So I actually put the minis like on the table next to me the whole time I was building the house to make sure that like the door and the window was sized appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, this one went a lot faster, right? Because I kind of knew what I was doing. So yeah. I kind of did it in two nights. And one really cool thing I noticed about this is um, while I'm down in my basement in my little hobby area, uh, I can watch movies. 
Nice. <laughs> so, you know, I got, like, I rewatched, I, I talked about last time we watched Blade Runner. This last time I rewatched uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, you know, these, these things Wise you can put choice. on. Wise yeah, choice. These things you can kind of put on in the side that you're not always looking at the screen, but you can hear it, you know, and you can just remember. Um, and then uh, when I was finishing it, uh, since I'm making a house, I don't know, I just decided, hey, I'm going to, I never finished uh, The Haunting of Hill House on uh, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. said, oh, let's put on a house thing while I'm making my house. Wow. And uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty disturbing at times. Oh, yeah. But, but the, you know, it's, it's wow. a slow burn, though. It's a very slow burn. We talked about this last time, though. Like, you know, I think uh, I know you're okay with it, but I'm I'm a fan of slow burn stuff. I think it it really allows artistry to dig into your emotions and really get seated in, into your into your feelings when you have lo- uh, really slow moving stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a threshold, right, where things are just oh my gosh. Like I I struggle to go back and watch like you know Space Odyssey. Right. Yeah, that that's oh, yeah. a little that's too Stanley slow. That's Stanley Kubrick's slow burn. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too slow. Yeah. Listen, I, 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 like I, <laughs> I yeah, right. I was talking with somebody about Apocalypse Now. Um, and that is a psychedelic slow burn trip mm-hmm. of a movie. And I love it to death. I love everything about it. I've seen it several times and I was talking to somebody about it and they're just like I could not keep my eyes open. It was so slow. Yeah. It just didn't grab me. And I get it. Like, I do, you know. And um, but you were telling me about Blade Runner, I think, last week, right? How it was like a slow movie, but, you know, like you really get to see what's going on with all the human, like, emotions and interactions and all yeah. that. Yeah. They let you, they let you, you can watch the characters think through something. You know, without having to have dialogue, you can watch them just through their emotions. But mm-hmm. Hill House is slow for sure, but um, it also has periods of intensity when it does kick in that kind of keeps you coming, coming yeah. back if you like that horror thing. So I'm gonna finish it out here uh, uh, as I continue to hobby. Oh, you but, didn't uh, finish the series? No, I didn't. Because uh, you know, that's the thing where each episode is like an hour, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm just hobbying in the evenings, you know, in between work and other things. And so it's you know, I knock, I maybe bang out two episodes, and then and then I kind of have to pick it up next time. But gotcha. but uh, if you haven't and you enjoy horror, and I will say that there's not really this is not really gore horror. It's really like um, what would you say? Suspense. Like, suspense. It's suspense. Yeah. I mean, there's some jump shocks that are in it, you know. Not that much, though. Like There's it, a couple every now and then. I mean, I, a few come to mind. But it's not like over and over and over again, like, uh, you know, like a Freddy Krueger type style. Yeah, it's know? more like you know that something supernatural is about to happen. And sure enough, it does. But you're just as freaked out that it did. Right. You're like, you know? I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. And there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But anyways, good stuff. So me just continue to I'm I'm I tell you, man, I'm doing this because I'm trying to get I'm trying to get terrain ready so that when we get back together to play some AOS, we can throw yep. down and have all this really cool, you know, fantasy village stuff all around us. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping to stuff. keep building it because I want to get Love that it. table full. That'll be awesome. Yeah. That was my week. Not too much, but focused. Awesome. Very good, gentlemen. Uh I believe if I'm not mistaken, there's some news. Is there? Let's see. 
Now it's time for Tabletop and Beyond News! At 20. <laughs> Live right. from the Washington, D.C. metro area. All right. Wizard of the Coast and the resurrected G4 network. Oh, and wow. They, they, okay. uh, they disappeared Whoa, really? in 2014, 2015, and they are back. Wow. They have, yeah, they're not just running uh, old episodes of Cops on an infinite loop anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All those specialized channels that at the end of the day just have to you know, throw the crappy TV on to try to syndicate yeah. and stay alive. Yeah, infomercials, right? Uh, Wizards of the Coast and the Resurrected G4 Network announced the next Dungeons & Dragons live streaming event set for July 16th to 17th. I can't believe it's been a year since the last one because we announced the last one here. It was uh, two nice. Junes ago. Sorry, one June ago. The announcement promises four star-studded games over the two-day event along with the usual new product announcements, interviews, DM roundtables, and exclusive giveaways for those with high enough int rolls. G4 announced last year that the network would return to its technology and gaming culture roots with a revived network. The D&D Live event will be at the forefront of the relaunched channel as its first big event, with more relaunched and new programs expected later this year. Interesting. So G4 is turning... Oh, I mean, it always was a gaming channel, but... It's now turning its eyes to the tabletop arena. Do you think it's going to stay there? Uh, or do you think d- it's going to fall back to, like, you know, covering, like, you know, Dota and and MOBA cha- channels and, right. you know, turn- like, you know, MK tournaments and it'll eventually, like, fall back to the, the streaming, you know, the Twitch streaming and video game YouTubers and all that stuff. What do you so, think? So I feel like the um, eSports stuff... I don't want to say it's peaked because I don't think it's going anywhere. You know what I mean? But I feel like interest is definitely peaked in like the big streaming, the big esports stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I feel it, like I feel like streaming esports was so like 2015. I think the problem is is that as we get older, our interest wanes in it, and we don't yeah. pay attention to it as much. Well, because we're not like actively being like, "Oh, dude, that guy's a total noob." I'm the noob again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the noob again. So I picked, the, I picked up thing, Halo right? Master Chief again last week, yeah. and I went and played in the like the arena. Dude, oh, I got my butt oh handed to me. I'm like, yeah. what? Did, no. What? Like, this is not me. <laughs> I used to own this place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you here's know? the thing, right? So one of the movies I watched when I was doing my my uh, house thing was I actually watched the latest Mortal Kombat movie. Yes. On uh, you know HBO, uh, mm-hmm. what's it called HBO Max, Max yeah, because you know it's just there, you just watch it, yeah. And it Get was what I thought here. it would be. It was what I thought it'd be, but it got me because I love the Mortal Kombat series and I used to play it a lot. Yeah, I dumped you know probably my lawnmower business savings in it when I was in high school into right. the MK cons, uh, arcade cabinet. But uh, so then I got online because I was like, hey, I'm gonna see you know kind of what the latest you know MK game looks like, and sure enough, you know. What comes up are all these tournaments, you know, late like, mot like recent tournaments. Really. And in these tournaments, you know, it's like two dudes sitting in front of a TV, like at the front of front of the stage, and then the camera pans around, and it's like a full auditorium of people watching these guys play, like full auditorium. And there's you know still announcers and everything. So I I don't know if it's 
I mean, maybe I it is peaked, but I think the problem is, is that I'm just not I'm not in it anymore. I don't really yeah, pay attention true. to it. That's true. Yeah. I have an opinion about this. I think G4 oh, in the era of Twitch is realizing that a platform like Twitch where people are dumping so many hours of content onto a video platform, they could all they have to do is start monetizing very similar content or or the premium content of stuff that's out on Twitch and they could be back in business. I mean, look, look at this podcast. This is just people having an opinion. Look at what Will Wheaton did with his network. Look at um, uh, what happened with the, what is still going on with the Nerdist network. You know, it's yeah. Gigundus. They have their own buildings and stuff. <laughs> Gigundus, so, I like it. I mean, I, serious. I mean, I, I had to check out because it got too commercial. No, because um, there's, yeah. so, there's only so much time for podcasts. So the, you, make, you make a good point, though. Like, you know, back in the day when before Twitch or when Twitch was really starting to come, out right it we we would turn to g4 tv to see that material now you can go to twitch and mm-hmm. you get all your video game streaming on twitch without having to subscribe to a g4 yep. channel or go to g4 like why do i need g4 at that point so maybe that's an argument as why g4 won't get into the video game because that content is just so readily available already in other avenues so i'd be curious like they're doing you know they're doing the uh, live stream rpg stuff which is ramping up i feel like interest has been growing since critical role and all that stuff right um i'd be curious to see if the wargaming community taps into this because you know jason that they have been trying to stream games they've been trying and, yep. and do all sorts of like i mean i'm getting like notifications from a bunch of uh twitch users that like hey we got like a game streaming right now yeah and some of them are using tabletop simulator some of them are using actual like camera setups and stuff like that you'll see youtube battle reports and all that all those things but could you imagine if like maybe they g4 did uh, uh coverage of the lvo you yeah, know be or awesome. something like that like a like a weekend coverage of the lvo like i'm telling you i think some people would tune in and if it's a free if it's a free channel with your cable package like why not because like yeah. with warhammer tv you've got to subscribe to them on oh, twitch really? yeah well what you know there's so many video platforms out there of people recording games uh and not just over tabletop simulator but back in the tournament scene you know i would go play at an x-wing you know at the nationals tournament you got to walk around the giant roped off area for the video stream of that i mean think about the pennies that g4 could throw at those guys and buy their video stream and played over and over yeah. again and stuff yeah. like that so i i do think g4 probably has because their name recognition is not going to last forever if they're going to relaunch they got to relaunch now because if they waited five years no one would remember or care yep i agree so um it's cool that they're relaunching i i i'm a cord cutter so if they're relaunching on cable i won't see what they're doing something tells me when they do it'll be it'll be online plus plus what else they do maybe they're not going back to basic cable question mark i don't know i don't know enough about it we need to do a little digging and circle back to see see what see what comes okay so they're launching their network with D. &D. yeah can you imagine imagine that for five seconds i mean yeah what a world! What a time to be alive! Exactly. They could have. <laughs> they could have just. 
they could have just cut a check to to you know Critical Role and just played the, and they could just play those episodes. So this is where I see the you know I think these sound great, but I think in order for G someone like G four to come in and say we're going to have live D and D events, like there's got to yeah. be something special because I can get live D&D events everywhere yeah. online well, right that's now. It, and this is it, right? It's the star-studded, so you're seeing celebrities do it, and there's yep. going to be a whole bunch of reveals. And it's got to be reveals. special. It's gotta and be they, special. Had, they had like four or five real celebrities out of their nine that they announced last year. Like, um, the guy who plays Hopper on Stranger Things, and two or three other folks that you go, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to. I'd have listen to if it doesn't have Jeremy Irons, I'm not in. <laughs> As Profion, oh my gosh! <laughs> I literally cut the D and D movie news out of the news stream for today because <laughs> the only news is they started shooting. There's nothing else to say about it. But sh- yeah. uh, filming has begun on the D and D film. Um, let's segue into the next uh, news yeah. item. One Bookshelf, the company behind Drive Through RPG, DM Guild, and more, announced they're changing the printing method for their print-on-demand products. Lightning Source, the company that fulfills printing for One Bookshelf orders, is in the process of scrapping older machines, forcing a move to newer technology. The good news is that the move to new printing presses could bring down the cost of the premium color print-on-demand books as much as 6%, a savings to the customer or additional profit for the publisher of just a, a couple of dollars on a $50 hardcover. So uh, they've also one bookshelf also mentioned if the quality goes down, they'll find another provider. But technology's changing, and print-on-demand for hardcover books is, is still a, a thing that's happening and picking up steam. And, you know, somebody's going to make that 6%, whether it's the the the, um, the consumer or the mm-hmm. the poor author. Somebody's going to get that extra yeah. 6%, and that's good. I still prefer um, in-hand books for my RPG stuff. I, I kind of do, it, too. It just, it just feels more fun to sit down at the table with a book. See, I disagree. I'm. I'm. Oh, I know uh, you do. You're I'm always hitting the guy. humble bundles and yeah, doing the PDFs and, up. And, yeah. and part of it, especially with like D and D Beyond, like, I mean, part of it is that like I can access those PDFs from wherever I'm at, right? So if I've got five minutes while I'm waiting for my daughter to come out of her swim team stuff, yeah. I can pull it up. I can look at it. I can go over it. I can, you know, like do that kind of stuff. The other thing is, is I don't like using a book at the table. I think it slows it down if I got to pull up a book to, to reference something. Now, I'm is that just about bit. pulling a book up or just pulling up material? Uh, I mean, I think anything. Like, so I'll have my material. Like, I'll I'll go through the book beforehand or the PDF, and I'll write down my notes. So I'll have my notes, yeah. but I don't like run out of the book. Like, I don't run it out of the book. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, that that's going there. So I've done my prep work beforehand. I've got my notes. I've got my monster sheet, you know, of of things. I've got my encounter list that I built. So these are all my notes that I've got going on there. Yeah. Like I don't I don't really run it out of a book, and I I don't like looking stuff up in a book if I don't have to. So in that case, is it more about just being prepared versus whether it's PDF or hardback? Yeah, I mean, I if I I mean I've got a hardback D and D player's guide and DM's guide and monster manual. You know what I mean? And and I love the artwork in it, and I love flipping through it. And I gave my daughter, you know, I gave it to my daughter, but I don't like having it at the table. 
is, I, is what I, I've been there, and you guys get on me for buying cards so much. I have a very card-based GM style. I've never gotten on you for buying cards. I always thought that was the right thing to do. Well, I think I think when I when I was excited about the uh, the that other product, you're like, why don't you just use a PDF piece of paper and, and get the same table? And I'm like, Jason, did either of us say you that? You totally no, did. No, I'm pretty sure we. It was Justin. Up. It was I'm Justin. Sure we talked it up. I'm not. <laughs> Anyways, no, anyways, no, no. Justin said, good. "Couldn't you just go buy like a document for like ninety nine cents instead of buying the?" Deck I did of say that, but I was playing devil's advocate. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying, why? So I'm sure a lot of people are like, "Why so many cards, Dan?" Because if if yeah. my main publishers put out a card deck, I just buy it, whether I think I want it or not, because that's my preferred form factor at the table. Yeah, because I like I, cards. I can get it is it's boiled down so condensed it yeah. has exactly yeah. what I need and I can flip through them so much I can separate them put them in stacks order them you know uh, uh, like you said a, a hardbound book is good for recording information it's it's less useful at the table I hate yeah, flipping I through agree. pages at the table yeah, I agree. I agree. But I, I think I enjoy sitting in a chair reading a hard bat more than I do sitting in a chair with my computer. I, I'm with you. I PDF. didn't. Okay. I didn't feel like I bought this new RPG until I had three books on the shelf. It, it didn't feel right. And I bought some of the digital uh, books as well. And I've looked at them a little bit, but I'm way into the hardbound as far as going up the learning curve. Now, what was cool years ago when I bought the um, all into the original Serenity RPG. Um, Every hardback book I bought, they sent me the PDF for free. Oh, that's yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. I listen when I got the um, Shadow of the Demon Lord. I ended up picking up the PDF. They had like a PDF adventure GM guide, uh, GM screen, and yeah. a PDF version of the rule book for twenty dollars. It's so much cheaper. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, like I'll get that. But that was well after I had ordered the book i had the book for a while but like this was like here's all these kits plus the pdf version and man i, I use the pdf version more than i did the book because mm-hmm. it was just search. more accessible and yeah, if, it's, if it's encoded search. right the search search power is, is very helpful yeah yeah unlike yeah. those uh rogue trader pdfs oh my gosh, oh my gosh. don't get so me bad. started on it's that. it's like two gigs of ram to open a pdf i know uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> i remember Yes, we all remember. (laughs) All right, moving right along. Cubicle 7 announced an extension of their license with the BBC for their Doctor Who role-playing game. Cubicle 7 has been making content for the popular science fiction franchise since 2008, releasing more than 40 products for the Doctor Who line to date. Fans of the series will be glad to know that more material is on its way. So That's cool. Whovians are still uh, still out there. It's still going concern to be a Whovian RPGer. I, I think I could get into Doctor Who, a uh, Doctor Who RPG. I think if somebody else ran it, I would play it. So this is one of those uh, franchises that has come and gone for me. Like, I'll sit down and I'll watch a Doctor Who episode, and then I'll get on a Doctor Who kick. Yeah. And I'll watch, like, a whole series. Or yeah. not series, but season, season, right? And then it'll go away, and then I'm going to think about it for, like, five years. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's a great franchise. It's a lot of fun. The fact that they can switch up, you know, the switch up the doctors on the TV series. Yeah. Uh, and it's built into the lore that they can switch it up and switch the characters and it just makes sense and it works. And the whole time, you know, the, the time and it's one of those where we talked about the world building. 
You know, with yeah. Star Trek, how every time uh-huh. you go to a new episode, yeah. it's world building. It's like that with Doctor Who. Every mm-hmm. Doctor Who episode yeah. is like a new world building episode. So it's really cool. But uh, yeah, it's great. I will be say interesting. This. I will say this. My wife uh, was hearing from some friends uh, how much they love Doctor Who. So she's like, let's watch it. We got through like two episodes. And she's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which uh, of the uh, latest Oh, no, 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 no. We started with, like, episode one of the original Doctor Who. Or oh, uh, God. You mean, like, the black and white? No, not that far back. It okay. was, the 60s um, stuff? Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it was 60s stuff. It seemed like 80s Should have been, like, 90s. early 2000s. Yeah, that's probably it. Early 2000s. Yeah, yeah okay. So. They, they had a hard time getting that thing up and going. I, I'm i not a, a, a maven. I can't go deep on it. Um, but I respect... Whovians, uh, they they uh, it is real real sci-fi real fandom and I applaud them for for their fandom. Um, our last micro piece of news we're not going to go into it. The winners of the fifteenth annual Golden Geek Awards for twenty twenty have been determined by the users of Board Game Geek, um, and they're they have uh, over. 15 categories of winners so i'm just gonna just hit the game of they had three different categories for game of the year and the light game of the year was micro macro crime city medium game of the year was ruins the lost ruins of arnak and the heavy game of the year was Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. You oh. can go to Board Game Geek. And what I like about this list is it's kind of a good way. It kind of like captures a, a, a year of what came out in games. And mm-hmm. what's, what's, you know, what are the, what are the, how are the users rating these games and, and what's, what's bubbling up to the top. So check it out. Um, give it, give it a look. Um, there's lots of games to learn about. Um, there's a lot on here that I see kind of in, in my social media feeds all the time that I've never played, like Root. You know, I've played Wingspan. Um, stuff like that is all kind of captured in, on these lists. So just go to BoardGameGeek.com and find the 15th Annual Golden Geek Award Awards winners for 2020 if you're interested. Nice. That's really cool. I... Um... Uh, I, I know I've got, a, we have a friend, John, who, um, has jobs of the line. He's been playing with his kids and he loves it to death. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It seems like to me, so jobs of the lion is a prequel, um, to Gloomhaven, um, in terms of like the lore and setting and stuff like that. And, um, uh, but John was saying that he felt like, um, they learned a lot from Gloomhaven and it runs a little bit smoother and things like that. So. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 It's totally sweet stuff. So it's out there. Go find I've it. got, I've got one more news item for you, buddy. Do it. AOS 3.0 was officially announced on, uh, Ooh. on what was it? Uh, Saturday. Uh, yeah. Saturday mm-hmm. or Sunday. Yeah. It was officially announced. So, um, we got a whole bunch of new rules coming out. We got uh, I, Jason and I talked a little bit about some of the rumors of what AOS 3.0 was, um, so I'm not going to dive into those because it was literally I think in the last episode. But um, the the point was is that um, he asked me when I thought it was coming out, and I said July, and they officially announced it like like a week later after our last podcast yeah. we recorded. Yeah, well, made so, sense. Yeah, so um, I just I'm glad it's coming. Um, I think some of the changes that they talked about are going to be very interesting. 
And um, I'm excited to see this kind of reset some of the bloat that has happened in a in Age of Sigmar. You know, it's uh, it was funny. I saw the uh, I got the email to my inbox. Right, it was like yeah. new AOS version announced. Click here to read more. Click here four four error. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh come on, you guys suck. But uh, yeah, that was only for like five minutes. You know, right when they sent the link out, but. Uh, yeah. I did watch the video. Interesting, you know, we talked about uh, one of the big things with AOS is the uh, priority role. Yeah. And they did say in the video that the priority role will stain, but if you go, if you choose to go second or if you go second, you get more command points. Right. And they, I mean, right. they re- said that in the video. So that's at least one thing we know about it: yep. that if you go second, you will get more command points. Yep. Yep. Nice. That means so. also means command points still exist. They do. Um, so, and I think, like I said, that they are going to exist kind of like the um, OCR Bone Reapers command points, mm-hmm. where you have to use them all in a round, or else you don't. They're like what, are, don't they, what are they called? They're like general points, or something yeah, general points. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I hear, they let you do a lot of different things. Like, for example, um, in the charge phase, like when you declare to charge me, I could use a command point and roll d6 inches away. As long as you're within nine inches uh, from me when you start your charge, so you may end up having a failed charge because I back up, which is oh. kind of interesting. Oh, you know, oh. Boy, that's so like, make... yeah. So if like Ugh. you're six inches away, right? Yeah. So if you're like six <laughs> inches away, I could use some command points, and it could be like three. Like maybe dude, you have that's to use like three. game changing. It is. So like maybe it's like three command points. I mean, that could be like most of my command points, but I really don't need. I really don't want that unit being attacked, right? So if you're six inches six inches away and I roll a d6 and three inches, all of a sudden you need a nine to get in yeah. to take it into me. So um, some of the most de- detrimental effects were those those people who would be like anyone within a you know a nine inch bubble halves their charge. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like you don't think about how difficult that makes it to make a charge yep. when you're you know far away. But yeah, Anyways. even like even like four inches. All yeah. of a sudden, you have to roll an eight. Yeah, you know it's that's crazy. That's a lot. Anyway, I have a question. So, yeah, how much? Let's just let's just take a snapshot in time right now. We'll come back to this episode and say, how much is this going to change your uh, financial investment in Age of Sigmar? So, you got to buy the new rule book. Check that. I mean, um, and no, then that comes and out. then you're going to have yeah. to. Uh, modify your list. So if you were going to modify your list and buy new models to get competitive, to go back to Las yeah. Vegas Open, just out of the air, pick a dollar I feel like you're leading amount. the witness with these questions. So, well, no, so I, 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 I need some dollar answer. amount. I, it's not zero. He doesn't. So, so first, off, first off, the core rules of Age of Sigmar have always been free. There you go. Okay. They've all, the, so the core rules have always been free. Now there's always the yearly like battle maps and yeah. mission updates that you have General to buy. Handbook. The general's handbook that you have to buy to know like what missions are going to be played in the tournaments for that year, and some of some extra little rules and points costs, right? So, mm-hmm. so you're gonna have to buy that. That's like a thirty dollar book. Um, but I would be buying that anyway. So yeah. I don't chalk that up to like to, the new rules. To number three. I think okay. the new rules are going to be out for free. Um, in terms of having to buy new units, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that like – so every unit has their own war scroll that gives their individual mm-hmm. abilities that they can do. 
I don't see a ton of those change. I think some of them are going to have to change, um, depending on some of the broken abilities that they have. Uh, so they're going to have to go through and update quite a few War Scrolls and um, give essentially what's called an, uh, what do they call it? An in- It's going to be a fact, but it's going to be called an index. Yep. I mean, they kind of did this with 40K, which is basically like this is a temporary stopgap for you to be able to use your, your um, army's rules uh-huh. in the third edition until their new book comes out. Yeah. You know, and so... So you can um, use your army even though you're not yeah. the first book. Right. So that will be free. That's usually free. Um, is, is like a PDF that they'll they'll give to you so that you can use that army in the new edition. And um, yeah, so I mean, there's going to be a new Night Hunt book. That, uh, so I run Night Hunt, obviously. There's going to be a new Night Hunt book that comes out eventually. I don't even think that we'll be close. We, we were the first ones last time um, with the Soul Wars book. Uh, or Soul Wars, which was a AOS 2.0, but I don't think that they're going to be necessarily new. So, uh, to be honest with you, I've got a lot of the model range for Night Hunt already. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I mean, maybe I'll have to buy a couple of more models just to round something out. Like maybe I've got 20 and I need 40 of something. You know what I okay. mean? Okay. So put a dollar so, put a dollar value on that. Um, not counting the General's Handbook because that's not it. I'd say. Maybe a hundred dollars. Hundred bucks. Okay. Maybe. Jay, maybe. Jay, Jay, what about? But that's you? after, dude. This is after I've probably put in over well over five six hundred dollars. Easily. Easily. Well, I know it's Games Workshop. <laughs> I get it. I just want to so, know. I. Yeah. This yeah. is fascinating to me. As if yeah. you're gonna buy into gonna, one of these games, yeah. you, you you buy in. So what about you, Jay? I would roughly say probably some battle box of sorts, so probably somewhere around eighty bucks. Eighty bucks, okay. Yeah, that's that's probably good. But I will. So let me ask you this, Jay: Are you thinking of getting a new army in AOS three point No, or? I'm I'm sticking. I'm going to stay with my ogres. Uh, you know, it, right before COVID hit, I bought up an ogre army, started painting it up, got a full two K, paid, played like two games with it, and then COVID shut everything down. So even with three, I'm going to stick with ogres and just have. So fun with it. so you just want a battle box to round out numbers, I guess. Yeah, so like, you know, with the new rules, the new way you set up your armies, I'm anticipating that I will probably need something other than the force I have to hit the 2K, sure. you know, assuming 2K is the limit again. Like, you know, yeah. maybe maybe one of the units that I had in my AOS 2.army, like, isn't really, you know, applicable for a good list anymore. And I'll right. need to yeah. probably just get a box to be able to get some, yeah, like you said, rounded out. Maybe yeah. I need another, uh, you know, mammoth or something like that. Yeah, 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 definitely. So. All right. Yeah, I, I, I would say percentage-wise, like having to reinvest into AOS 3.0, um, I would say like maybe 10%. Now, it depends. Yeah, because here's the thing, right? You can play the game legally at tournaments mm-hmm. with any Games Workshop model that has the right base okay. in AOS. Okay. If you make the argument that, you know, you have an appropriate painting and... And scheme you like for example people who played elves right or even people who played um, yeah. uh what's the people the free peoples yeah right i saw some crazy old models like you know 15 year old models hit the right. table that people just cut off of the square bases and glued on round bases and it totally totally tournament legal yeah it's it's all about the bait at least in two dodo we'll see with three i'm sure it will be it was all right. about the base size and as long as it's a games workshop model or partially a games workshop model and hits the appropriate base size, it's tournament legal. Yeah. So you guys would not make, like, 
I, you know, get into the time machine, talk to Games Workshop fans for 40K 10 years ago, and every time a major update, they knew they were going to take a huge financial hit, or everything they just invested money in is now nerfed, or, or something along those lines. You guys aren't right. feeling that from Games Workshop anymore. You guys are like, no, we're still in this game, version 3, well, no Well, I problem. don't think Justin and I are meta chasers. That's true. If yeah, we were not, meta chasers, yeah. Yeah. we would We'd, be dedicating a grand every year to play yeah, this game. At least, really? at least. Um, yeah. I mean, like, listen, they're coming out with a brand new vampire army called the Soul Blight Grave Gravelords, and people are literally like throwing their money at GW for a brand new army, yeah. you know. And so, the, yeah. So just, these are people yeah. who like want to stay at the top of the leaderboard, no matter what the army is. Don't yeah. really care about the lore; just want to be at the top of the point system. Yeah. Right. We had that in X Wing, where they would come out with a new wave, and a lot of players would figure out the the maximum number of a unit that they could possibly fit in a tournament legal list, and that's the number of models they would order. So they right. would literally have everything they needed and in some cases you'd buy extra models if you needed to move cards around so right. um because all the cards were static you knew what cards you were getting in every pack so i think i think if, every tabletop game probably has those kinds of people. Ha have yeah. those kind of people and that's that's what's interesting to me about about age of sigmar about all these which is you know <clears throat> does the change of rules push people out of the game or keep people who are there there or or and or bring new people in based on that whole configuration i know it's always going to be yeah. a mixture of those three but I'm. It's fascinating to me. It really. It, it tickles my fancy to hear you guys because I'm not going to get into Age of Sigmar because right. I'm just not. I just know I'm not. Um, yeah. But, but I'm very curious about your your perspective. So I'd say this too. Um, Warhammer 40k is way more expensive than Age of Sigmar. Oh in my, my gosh. Opinion. Yes. Like so much. First off, the models are more expensive. You need to buy more models. Uh, you know, for for your army and stuff like that. Um, and um, like the books are expensive. Like you got to get like three different books to like maybe two of a Age of Sigmar's. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, and the core rules are not free. Like yeah. so, you know, there's there's some there's some serious differences. Like, for 40k is seriously behind a paywall. You know what I mean? Like you've got to you've got to buy the core rules. You got to get in. You you got to pay for the apps. You got to buy the books. You got to do all this stuff, and. Uh, Age of Sigmar, like they give you, so so the equivalent of a War Scroll, which is essentially the that individual model's abilities and and statistics, you know, how many inches can it move, how many attacks can it do, all that stuff, right? So that's a War Scroll. The equivalent of that on 40k is called the Data Sheet. Well, the Data Sheet you can't access unless you buy it. Warhammer 40k, there's an app that gives it to you for free. I can look up any oh. unit in the game Data Sheet. At any time and be like, wow, that's Warhammer, I'm going up Age against the for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, oh sorry, yeah. the War Scroll. I can look at the War Scroll and I look it up and I'm like, wow, I'm going up against like, like I see somebody's list at a tournament and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that unit does. I can pull it up and be like, oh crap, okay, I, I don't want them to charge me because they just do ridiculous damage. So I need to make sure that I don't put any of my units in charge range of them. And I can see that right off free. Um, <clears throat> Warhammer 40k, 40K yeah. you, you have to buy like each book that comes yeah. out to be able to see the unit's data sheets or go to an illegal site and download it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, I yeah. mean, you like you could do that too, but 
Um, it's just like 40k, man. Like they, this is where Games Workshop's really making their money. Is 40k for sure. Definitely you not know. Curse City boxes, you know. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for yeah. the sidebar conversation on that because I think, yeah. you know, if you all right, get... we're sitting in an hour. We got to hit our main topic. <laughs> all right, main topic <laughs> is alignments and such. Uh, let's cut right to it. Dan thinks alignments yeah. are dumb. Uh, <laughs> so well let's let's talk about that real quick and we'll, we'll talk about some alignment. so dan you think it's dumb and uh, D has alignments and they're, they're an optional rule right that you can do and there's every listen every system has their alignments right like you can be kind of aligned in star wars it's not as i would say kind of rigorous as D, &D in my opinion mm. right do you it's have alignments as, in star wars uh you can, if you're a force user, you can flip yourself to dark side. Sure. And uh, that's that, there's, dark, there's game yeah. mechanics around that. If you're not force sensitive, there's there's no alignments. So, yeah. uh, question first: what what option? What's the optional rule for what in D and D? Well, you mentioned that that alignment. Well, is you don't an have to play rule. it. Yeah, you don't ha you don't have to. But play how it. is it a rule at all? Like, what do you mean by rule? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like. Um, it's not like an attribute that you actually, you know, it's not like your um, uh, skill numbers that you have or your proficiency bonus or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? It's part of your, it's part gotcha. of your lawyer background, okay. that type of thing where it's not a rule. Um, as a, as a GM, you can choose to play with it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can choose to reward their characters based on if they adhere to their alignment. Yeah, or exactly. punish them if they don't. Right. So, and that's, that's the crux of it. And I think that that's where Dan has issue, right? It's like, well, you wouldn't be doing this as a paladin if you're, you know, lawful good. Therefore, I'm going to punish you for it type of thing. It's right. Very Even though subjective. like the, it's very subjective and um, it gets into a weird morally gray, especially like when your characters are presented with morally gray questions, like, Maybe your paladin's feeling like they're making the lawful good choice, even though they may not. Be. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, like that they... time that you made my uh, my knight sell his soul to save the other person. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate to <laughs> just down awesome. it. I, hate, <laughs> I just awesome. don't find it to be useful in D and D unless there's an argument gonna happen. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then it also kind of creates this weird situation in a party where you're like, oh, well, I'm the chaotic player, chaotic evil player, and the lawful good player who's trying to stay yeah. at their alignment does one thing, and the chaotic evil player, they're mm -hmm. always bumping into each other, and there's no reason why they should be working together. There's this weird, you know, nine grid system, and if everybody forgets about it, the game tends to go fine. It's, and that is a great point right there, right? Which is everybody like figures out what their alignment is in the you know in session zero, and they tend to remember it in session one, and then after that, nobody ever thinks about it again. You know? That's the thing, though, <laughs> and this is why I think it's good. I think it is useful in character creation to help uh -huh. you set the stage on how you're going to role play, and then it, yep. at that point, it open the windows. You know, it's a departure. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's so yeah, so you like it as a snapshot, basically. It's a snapshot like, this to get is, this to kick them. your start. Yep. Yeah. This is them start starting. Yep. So so basically, the 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 paladin who's on a righteous quest isn't starting in the depths of darkness, and he can only go up from there, right? Like, it the snapshot would be that he's lawful, 
lawful good. He's always trying to do the right thing, and that sets your tone for moving forward. Right. right. So you just actually brought up a good point. So I think that's where the rule part comes in. I don't know about in fifth edition because I haven't actually looked at this and cared too much about it. But in prior editions, depending on the class you chose, there were specific alignments that were locked to you. Right. Yes. Like druids, I think, were always neutral. Um, yeah. Paladins uh, I were don't always know. some form of good, right? So I don't know. And, and oh my gosh, there's going to be some D&D people out here that are going to totally correct us. But... Yeah, well, I, the point is made, though, I think. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. I think that um, there are. Cer- I know that there are certain weapons and magical items oh, that you yeah. can mm-hmm. or cannot mm-hmm. use depending on your oh. alignment. So that. You know? um, I like that. I like that. I think that's good story wise because if you're at the end of the day, if you you know if you dive into you know the tomb of Saint blah 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 blah, and you try yeah. to take her holy sword, and you are like you are an evil person, that sword will fight against you. Yeah, yeah but do you need a, the the nine grid to play that story beat? Do you need chaotic neutral in the rule set in order for you to to go through that beat in the story? And I I my I think it's a no. tool. My, it is a tool, and it's it's okay, and it's part of the heritage of D anD D, and it's we're kind of saddled with it, you know. I, it's not going anywhere because the designers are never going to jettison it. But um, you know, lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, lawful neutral, neutral true neutral, chaotic neutral, lawful evil, neutral evil, chaotic evil. I mean, uh, what it comes down to is: is it okay for me to attack this guy because I have a sword? Is he bad? Am I good in this scenario, or am I? Yeah. Am I doing the right story thing? And I think that can change every day for a character. I think depending yeah. on the NPCs that are there, I think there's so many story elements that I think a character can wake up one day lawful good and end the uh, end the day being true neutral or something. So, so this is where um, I think that other systems have advanced. From this a little bit, um, I think Shadow of the Demon Lord does a great job with this. They don't have alignments in there first off, right? You're, everybody's kind of just trying to make it through this crazy world, right? However, um, depending on your player choices, if you do something evil, you gain corruption. Yeah, no, 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 no. I would disagree. Not always depending on your player choices in that game. Sometimes that's you true. will get corruption regardless yeah, of how that's you behave. True. Well, just because of the situation you're in, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that, that's true. So let's my, be fair. Yeah, that's no. fair. My my point is is that um you could make so you could be a good person and in the moment make a bad bad decision. True. Yeah. And then that would give you corruption, which then alters the way your 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 nature is now tarnished. Yeah. You know from that, and that and affects so, your stat block. Yeah, and so the problem is exactly the problem is is that like um, with the D and D the way that it is is um, you know the if you're playing if you're playing the alignment like through the game you're like okay my paladin is lawful good he's never supposed to change from this and so what do you do when he makes a bad choice because the role player is just playing with his gut there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're playing they're playing how they think that they should be playing. They're kind of playing the character, but it's a it's a tough situation and he makes a bad choice. Or he or he opens up a book that he shouldn't do and gets like corrupted. You know what I mean? Right. Like 
they don't have that mechanic in D and D, and so do you? Well, they do actually. Um, well, it's they, a, that's an optional mechanic, isn't it? Corruption. No, but they have the if you play against your alignment, the yeah. the the dungeon master's guide recommends that the the DM act appropriately. So you could, if someone plays against their alignment, the yeah. DM could give them disadvantage for the day. That's true. Okay. And so there are ways to account for that. That's better you, than the would, old way, which was the DM saying, your character wouldn't do that. That's against your alignment. Right. Oh, right. I, that I, I don't think that was ever. Well, I'm talking about super, super old D&D, like way back in the day. Or okay. or uninformed D&D players getting into right. arguments about, sure. hey, you can't yeah. kill that kobold because he's got a family, but he tried to set us on fire. You know, all, the, all these... All moral moral yeah. arguments yeah, that you get into, <laughs> moral arguments that you can get into. Um, and the worst part is when somebody tells you your character shouldn't or wouldn't do that because you are supposedly lawful good and you need to live in that box. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't think that's been the case since like third edition. Yeah, but there's there's in been D&D. there's been days, and and still it's it it comes up. More than you would think. Well, so I get the. I've gotten the. This Has is this what happened you're to you, Dan? Have you been told you can't behave <laughs> uh, a certain way because of an alignment? Because it's never happened to way. me. Yeah. I'll just, just maybe I'm it. recalling ancient D and D. Maybe maybe A D and D and and stuff back in like the Thacko days. Back in the day. Well, well, and and there's lots of there's you know lots of kids playing these games and yeah. they, they don't know the nuances of the rules. And there's lots of kids DMing, you know. Uh, and and I think, I think for kids playing games to have all of these weird different choices, like you know, I I, I think they can fall. It, it creates more problems than it solves, in my personal opinion. See, so, I think that okay, it can ahead. also help. Sorry, Justin. Uh, no, no, no. Go I think it can also help people who are struggling yeah. to know what their character would do in a situation. The DM yeah, can right. say, "Well, what's your alignment? I'm chaotic evil. All right. Well, what do you think someone who's chaotic evil would do? Yeah, yeah. It, that's that's very true. And I, I think that it gives uh, yeah new players kind of a starting point. I know that my daughter talks about alignment with her friends a lot in their games. Yeah, you know, um, and it I don't think it's ever really used as a tool to control. Um, I have personally gotten the question of like, so wait, you're 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 lawful neutral, right? So is this something that you would normally be doing? You know, I have gotten that question, and it wasn't. It wasn't like you can't do it. It was more of a reminder of like, wait a minute, are you really playing your character or? Well, in the subtext, just... the subtext is you can't. Maybe somebody said didn't say no, you can't do that. The sure, subtext is sure. is we're no longer talking about the story. We get into this meta layer above the story, which is oh, my character sheet says alignment X activity doesn't activity is is Y. How do, how do we yeah. rectify that? I think it. I think it slows down storytelling in some ways, and me, and I think, I think it, it makes storytelling creative. I, I think we have different opinions. I also think, <laughs> I think we do. <laughs> I also think it gives okay. too okay. many young players licensed to play evil characters. Interesting, and I, I'm um, not a big fan of that. That's interesting. So yeah. so before I pull the thread through on that one, here's my question to you. Um, Let's say you uh, you know you tried to get to your game night. Uh, your wife asked you to do like thirty things before you had to leave, right as you were putting on your shoes. It sounds familiar. You, you had to do that real quick. <laughs> you forgot to grab it. You forgot to grab a snack, so you show up 
with nothing, feeling guilty, already late. Everybody's sort of getting started. So you're starting in a strange frame of mind, right, for your for your game night, right? You sit down. You start playing your character who is, like, the most gracious, wonderful paladin of all time. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, I want to kill all of these, like, <laughs> Because, like, you yourself are in, like, yeah. a, a weird frame of mind. And the GM looks at you and goes... Is that what your character would normally be doing? And not like I'm not saying it an accusatory thing, but is it okay to give a reality check sometimes? Because maybe you are injecting a little bit more of your own emotions, or you're getting carried away in the moment, or something like that, without like really thinking about what would my character really be doing here? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? It's like it's a reality check, okay? Uh, from a GM. I I think it. I think it. Like I think Dan's a, point is that you don't need the alignment to be able to do that kind of a check based on how they've been playing their character the whole time. So, so the that that's might be fair. The D fair the point. DM's role is to say you've cho- chosen to do X, and here's the consequences of X. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And punishing a character for not playing along their alignment and giving them disadvantage, I don't think is is that useful. I think you're in a situation, and if you decide to set the village on fire, you know, the, the other village is going to create a posse to come kill you, right? There's there's cause and effect in the universe. And I like that as, you know, the story should be the balancing factor, not the nine boxes in my opinion. Okay, so, all right, all right. So pulling the thread through on that one a little bit more. So he sets the village on fire. The posse tries to come at him. He's claiming self-defense. He kills the whole posse. Yeah. Right. And as a, as the village burns <laughs> to the ground, right? As the village burns to the ground, Keep it going. he Keep sees it going. that uh, the church exposed a um, a catacombs down there, and he goes and finds this glittering saint sword. <laughs> glittering saint thing. Yeah. And he yeah. goes to pick it up. Does the GM let him pick it up if he's? I mean, does is he is he lawful neutral? Is he lawful good anymore? So I mean, he literally just burned down a village and killed a posse, right? If in like, if so, in the universe, if in the universe, the inanimate object can detect your your righteousness. If uh, every weapon, ha- if every magical weapon is Mjolnir, are you righteous enough to pick that up? Then that's built into the framework of the universe. Then no, right. I mean, but so the lore answers that question. Right. Well, Not- what's what's your metric as a GM to right. keep it from being too subjective for the player that he can pick up that sword? Uh, well, what, what's the framework of of the lore, right? So, so D and D sets it with you know the metrics are the alignments. If you take away alignments, then it becomes completely subjective on whether or not the GM's going to allow that player to pick up that sword because of righteousness or not. Well, and that's actually most systems don't even go down this alignment road. They basically say, you're playing in this RPG. Some RPGs do a job, a better job of asking the players what their motivations, yeah, what their motivations mm-hmm. are and what their histories yeah. are. You know, if I'm an actor and I'm going to play a role, I don't sit down and say, am I lawful good or am I chaotic evil? I say, what are my motivations, right? And that's that actually is probably more useful than that. That's so if, I, if yeah. I'm picking up... The sword because I'm motivated to use the sword for 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 selfishness, or or you know, and greed versus doing good for other people. I mean, that's the story. That's the story unfolding, not the where am I at on the nine grid hopscotch thing. 
I, I just am never going to like alignments. And you guys are enough fans of D&D to come and never agree with me. <laughs> well, I think your point is valid. Uh, I think okay. you just... Like with all things, right? It's about uh, being explicit with your party, your party, with your, you know, your group at the table on how you're going to play the game, right? Yeah. If, hey, we're going to play this D and D. It's going to be real fun. I don't really like alignments. We're not going to do alignments. Just, just play it, and we'll work through motivations to get it. Yeah. No problem. Hey, cool. But if they want to do alignments, you know, just work and then find a way to work it out. And find a way to get every and find a way to compensate for the entropy. Because you're always going to have one lawful good, and you're always going to have a, a character that the lawful good character thinks is not being lawful and good. So figure right. that out before you 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 walk down your you go to your first dark tavern. Because yeah, yeah it's interesting. Right. It's interesting. You know, it really comes down to motivations, and I think the alignments are there to help people role play their motivations. And yeah. there are mechanics built into the system at some points. To help people who maybe struggle with the role play aspect of it. But it, I think with all things, with all RPGs, it's like we've talked about before. Once you get strong enough as an RPG player and the GM recognizes that, the rules are just there to help you you know, adjudicate situations. Yeah, but right. you don't always need the rules to tell a good story and to have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, agreed. agreed, yeah. agreed, agreed so, agreed. so to help some of our listeners kind of understand, like, okay, um, you know, when when you say lawful good in D and D, or you say chaotic neutral, um, there is a, a website which is the D and D fandom website, right? Um, let's see, it's DungeonsandDragons.fandom.com alignment. And there, I think they got a great table because they've put some pop culture icons in there for you to understand, like, who these who these people kind of are. We should right? have done like, this first. <laughs> we should have, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to end it on an interesting note here yeah. with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that this is helpful just to kind of pull, you know, just to, just to kind of build on, on Jay's point, which is, you know, if you're struggling with um, – Role playing a little bit on like what would my what would like I really want to play my character what would they be doing in this situation, um, and here's my alignment. Maybe you can channel some of these characters a little bit to be like okay, well what would what would Superman do? Um, because Superman is our first one at lawful good. I mean he is pure embodiment of righteousness and goodness, right? Like he was always doing the right thing. And always for the right reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's lawful good. Lawful, lawful good. good. Su- Superman. All right. So who's neutral good? Uh, you've got Mal from uh, Firefly and Serenity. Uh, Captain mm-hmm. Malcolm Reynolds. He's neutral good because he is trying not to take sides, uh, but he always seems to be in the position where he's trying to to do good by other people, by his crew, and make the world a better place. He doesn't really care about the local laws so much as just doing what's right. Doing what's right. Um, and you know what's interesting is he did have sides in in the beginning, right? I mean, he was fighting with the brown coats and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think sides is fine. It's about, you know, I don't care necessarily about the regulations that say what side I'm supposed to be on. I know what side I'm yeah, on. He's a, yeah, he's a... And I'm going to make those choices. He does play in the gray areas of the law. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's always doing it with the best of intentions, right? That's right. Like he's trying to do the right thing. Who doesn't love Malcolm Reynolds? I know, right? 
I was thinking, do you do you ever see a situation with him where he's really debating on what the right thing is? Um, or does he always just kind of know, like, this is the right thing to do? Uh, we could probably come up with one if, if we went back through every episode yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. But, I mean, at the yeah, end of the day, he, he, does, he makes a choice based on what he thinks is the right thing is to do. Is the right do. choice, yep. yeah. Yeah, if you go to episode one of the series, he starts out being – super religious person, very God-fearing, and he knows he's on the right side of that war. And then you catch up to him years later, and he's he's he's, he's, already, he's, he's changed as a person. He's now an atheist. You know, he's just trying to make ends meet. So he he's a character who, in the first frame of the of the TV show, was lawful good, and then became neutral good. You know, before you even get to the first commercial break. Mm-hmm. Or the yeah. second commercial break, rather. Yep. Yeah, very good. Very good. Jason, I'm letting you have this next one. Chaotic good. Yeah, it's the uh, the guy from V from Vendetta. God, what's his name? V? The mask. V? His name v. is it's v. just. Is it just V? It's, yeah. It's I v. thought it was based. Yeah. He wears the guy yeah, dude, Forks mask. One of my favorite mask. movies of all time. One of yeah. my favorite movies of all time. But I mean, at the end of the day, he, you know, he is not just, he's not just, you know, I don't care what the law says at any time. He is actively bringing down the system for what he feels is the good of the people. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. the little quote there. Government should be afraid of their people. And he, he is destroying the government <laughs> was his goal. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's kind it's of a the, bad guy. <laughs> chaotic is the, uh, yeah. Chaotic is kind of the he's opposite the long of game. lawful. Yeah. He's playing the long game. Uh, I, yeah, destroying. You're burning matter. down the village so that it can come up and be better. It I, can grow and be better. I don't think he's chaotic. Good. I don't know. It depends on a certain point of view. What? The many why of the truths think, that we cling to depend why on. Why would your you point think he is view. not? Why would you think he's not chaotic? Because um, I don't know. I think it's because I work for the government. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all right. Let's move on to the next, next. one. That's Lawful awesome. neutral, Dan. This one's yours. Lawful neutral. Yep. Okay. Jean-Luc Picard, the prime directive, prohibits me from helping you. So he's got to be lawful and he's neutral. And sometimes he's got to make a call that would be unpopular. And I've watched a couple episodes recently where he walked away from helping somebody because of the prime directive. So that, that actually does make sense for him. I do think he is much throughout the series. He's way closer to lawful good than he That's is lawful neutral, too. but he had to make, he, he will always side with the duty that he has to, to the regulations yeah. before bending the rules. Unlike his predecessor who was let's break whatever rule we can to, to accomplish what we yeah, want. True. That's a little bit more, I think, James T. Kirk is probably more chaotic good. Um, that's an easy easy guy to put in chaotic good. Cause the, that's a good point. He, he's going to throw every rule in the garbage based on I his agree that, situation. Yeah, I agree with that. I yep. agree with that. He, he's going to fly by the seat of his pants. The rules are guidelines at best, yeah. right? And we're just trying to do the right thing. Um, I Listen, I agree. I think Picard is kind of more lawful good than neutral, but... Um, I sent a clip of Star Trek to you guys where he um, was in, what was the movie? Star Trek Nemesis, I think, right? Where they go back in time to fight the Borg. Oh, that's First Contact. That Nemesis? First Contact. First Contact. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So First Contact. And um, he, um, they were supposed to go in and engage, like, go in and engage. And he's like, nope. And, like, went and did something completely different, right? And basically was like, everybody can follow me and good luck. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, so... 
uh, you know, it, 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 he wasn't doing the good thing, which was, uh, or the, uh, yeah, he wasn't doing the, the, well, I don't know. Was he doing the good thing there? He was trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think yeah. the key here is that he is an example of someone that has made lawful neutral choices. Yeah. Maybe okay, he's not always been lawful neutral, but he's made some lawful neutral choices. Right. That's a good point. Okay. And that's good for your RPG point of view. It's like, so your yep. character at level one has made a lot of lawful neutral choices, but guess what? By episode three, you may have fallen into a different yep. bucket. Yeah. That's really good. That You know, it's interesting because um, I would almost want to start, if it, if I were creating a character, I would want to start all of my characters on the neutral plane. Lawful, yeah, most true, people do, or, I think. or yeah. chaotic. Yeah. And then you kind of can work up or down. It's really hard to start all the way at the top because the only way to adjust your, develop your character is to drop them down. And that's that can get problematic. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So, all right, true neutral. Uh, this was kind of a debate before the podcast, but we'll run, we'll run with it. Is uh, Treebeard from Lord of the Rings, and the quote under his picture is "Side, I'm on nobody's side because nobody is on my side." Right, so he doesn't choose sides unless it's convenient for him, um, and you know it's really all about self, I guess. Yeah. In a true neutral. Yeah. Right. Very self self oriented person. I'm trying to think if there is um I'm trying to think if there is a good um, book character that I had read recently. Um, but I think the true neutral person is very selfish. So another another example of a true neutral character would be like the mirror on the wall from uh, Snow White. It it oh, is a yeah, personage. It doesn't care who's asking it the questions. It just yeah. shows you what you want to see. Mm. But it is a, an entity that is alive. But it just sits there and observes the world around it. Mm. Yeah. Much like a That's tree a beard. Good point. Yep. Yep. Although he did get involved. In the end. He did, <laughs> right. Because yeah. yeah. he started. Because he changed. Yeah. At level one, he was true neutral. Yeah. And by the t- end of the campaign, he had changed. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Okay. Chaotic neutral. Um, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Jack Sparrow. Yep. So this one I like because, you know, you watch those, you know, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the Disney uh, versions. And throughout the movies, you think, oh, you know, he, he he makes good choices. Oh, he really does care about people. But then he turns around and he makes totally selfish choices. Right. And like totally throws people under the bus. Yep. And so you're like, yep. oh, maybe he's... Maybe he's not such a good person. At the end of the day, he like he doesn't care about the rules, and he's super selfish. Now he's another guy that at the end of the series he did switch and make a good choice. But that's what movies are all about, right? Is people's journey through character their arc. progression, yeah, their character. But I would say starting from the beginning and uh, that movie series, he was absolutely chaotic, neutral, selfish, didn't care about rules at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. The other one that came to mind, you know, that f- I think fits totally here because he's a space pirate is Hondo in the Clone Wars and and uh, Rebels. Hondo and Nuka, my friends, welcome. I mean, that that guy would be one minute holding you captive, the next minute helping you break out of something. Do you know what I mean? Like he was your friend, he was your enemy, he was your business partner, he was your competitor. Like, uh, you know, and if something didn't work out or if you foiled his plan, he'd just laugh at you and be like, all right, well, we'll see you around next time. This is where the fuzzy, you know what I mean? this is where the fuzzy line between true neutral and chaotic neutral 
is kind of mm-hmm. bugging me mm-hmm. because you can describe Hondo as true neutral as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes he's law abiding and sometimes he's not. Chaotic yeah. neutral, not never lawful, always an iconoclast. I guess Jack Sparrow works for that pretty well, but um, I don't know. That neutral line is always a head scratcher. I do like the fact that the selfishness angle is pretty interesting along that middle tier. Yeah. Because yeah. on on the left side where you have Picard, who is selflessly following the prime directive and the rules, is a huge antithesis. That's a huge antithesis to, to another captain, Jack Sparrow, on the other side. I think the easiest way to understand true neutral is that's someone who just stays out of it. They're just I'm not going to get involved. I don't care. I'm not going to get involved. Leave I me stay out. out of leave it. me just out. A, yeah, leave me out. I will observe, and that's it. And uh, you know, and that's it. But Whereas that, that's not useful. The others kind of a, still becoming. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Is that useful for a starting character for a player character? Is that useful? I, I. Um, unless someone really has no idea what kind of character they're creating, I don't think many people start in that center. Okay. There you go. I think maybe, you know, those centers are mainly, a lot of these I think are there to help the GMs understand how NPCs should respond to players. Hmm. Um, That one in the middle, maybe I could see it more applicable to NPCs that really don't matter in the situation, mm. but uh, it seems like it would be a hard one to kind of center in on that bullseye. But that's a player choice. I could start as true neutral, and it, yeah. the players would be dragging me by the ear from from scenario to scenario, going, "Oh, why, why, why should I care? I, I don't want to lift up the sword." <laughs> Definitely played with uh, players like that that start that way. You know, let's go save the princess. Why? Mm, why? I'm yeah. true neutral. I'm playing my character. Yet again, I don't really care about the yet princess. again, I'll stop complaining about alignment. <laughs> yet again, another pothole. <laughs> now you can have that whether you have alignments or not. That's true. I know. That's true. Lawful evil is our next one. We've got Darth Vader, uh, a, a character near and dear to my heart as a Star Wars fan. He is lawful in that he is trying to take over the galaxy and use the instrument of the empire to do that, even though he's using his son. And by doing that, if he, if Luke would have turned to the dark side, that would have been a very Sith thing to do. So he, even there he was working within the confines of the Sith paradigm uh, to perpetrate evil as, uh, as he saw fit. Um, And once again, he gives a terrible speech at the end of episode three about it's about moral relativism from my point of view, the the Jedi are evil, and that everybody just cringed when he did that. I'm like, oh, you you're kind of dumb. What have you been doing for the last 20 years of your life if the Jedi are evil, <laughs> you idiot? That's a good point. So don't get me started on the Jedi. So don't yeah. exactly, exactly. So um, I think one of the problems is is because Star Wars has that hard light side of the Force and hard dark side of the Force. Yeah, I mean, oh, you mean the selfish side of the force and the power side of the force? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Whatever you want, whatever you want to, however you want, whatever brush you want to paint. With <laughs> My point is, is that lawful evil, of course, is probably the most recognizable form of evil for civilizations that you'll run into, because yeah. oh, look, there's a castle on the hill. It's run by an evil lord. He's got troops. Yada yada yada. 
So I think that Darth Vader is an iconic character, and it's easy to look at him and say lawful evil. But I think there are probably better examples of lawful evil than Darth Vader. Because Darth Vader would walk down the hall and just pick up somebody and choke him if he didn't like the answer. Uh, And true, and that would be unlawful, technically. Even though he may have a license to kill like 007. That's true. He may have a license to kill. That's true. Mm. That's true. Who's 007? Is he chaotic good or is he lawful good? I don't even... I'll shut up. I would say that's a good question. That's a good question. We'll park that one. Let's put a pin in that one. (laughs) Justin was trying to get a word in. Um, I was going to... I was going to say that um, the interesting thing about lawful evil characters, uh, NPCs anyway, is that if you go and talk to that evil lord on the hill, what are they going to tell you they're doing? They're going to tell you they're doing the right thing. Mm. They're going to tell you that they are actually the ones that are keeping everything under control and helping out humanity, right? That they're keeping the trains running on time, that they're feeding the people, that they're making sure the economy's working, that, you know, like, because of their presence, it's keeping everything from descending into madness and chaos, and that they're basically holding the bulwark of, of, you know, of all the bad things away from their people. Even though it feels like oppression, it's really not because the thing that's outside of the gates, the quote-unquote wolves outside of the gates are much, much worse. Yeah, that's a really good right? point. And never forget and so, your villain is the hero of their own of their story. story. Exactly. So they, your villain, especially if he's a lawful, you know, especially if he's a lawful evil character, will likely see himself as lawful good. The, the, the lawful is the key part there, right? Yeah. The, because they are operating under the confines. A lawful evil character will look at a chaotic evil character and be like, that dude needs to be locked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the yeah. and, and so um, that, that to me is kind of the most interesting thing about the lawful evil character is that their view of themselves is not going to be necessarily true. Like a like a true neutral character will probably see themselves as a true neutral because they're like, yeah, I don't take sides. I don't care. Like, yeah. that's that's not me. But you ask a lawful evil guy, and he's probably the only one on this nine grid that doesn't see himself the way that y- you and I see him yeah. type of thing. Does the- so. I think some of the times that's the case, probably most of the time. But I think there are definitely situations where they, they have just embraced – what they understand their moral code to be evil and that's what they like and they want it but they also have a structure that they stay inside of yeah well and some of it might be because that structure is imposed on them right like yeah uh you know you talk about an admiral thrawn of star wars right in rebels Uh especially and he's operating in that in that rubric because there's another bigger higher power that's kind of controlling that for him you know, well, and which is the emperor. An, another interesting rubric is: Would you say? Could you say that? You know, people carrying out orders of an evil um, entity. I'm thinking. I'm trying not to talk about Nazis, but people following orders. <laughs> That's why we've been all of us. We're, we're tiptoeing that. around that one, but if you're following orders. Um, and those yeah. orders are evil. Does that that's like an lawful evil thing, right? Even though that right. person may think they're they're doing right because it's legal. That which is legal yep. is not always that which is moral. Right. Spies are uh, the you know the age old conundrum. There, they're following laws given to them from their side, but they're breaking laws from the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, anyways, a, a chaotic good character may look like a terrorist, right? A, a lawful evil character may look like, 
you know, a, a foot soldier doing horrifying things. All right, next one yeah. is neutral evil. Who do we have to tee that one up? Uh, this is Jay's guy right here. Ooh. This is an interesting, right? This is uh, the the uh, the necromorph, or well, He's xenomorph. Uh, yeah, xenomorph. Thank you, xenomorph. And actually, is that the no? It's not the queen, but uh, just a picture of a xenomorph that's there. It's yeah. interesting because from Alien, for those from, that are yeah, aware. For, I apologize from Aliens. Yeah. yeah, welcome to the twenty. But anyways, uh, yeah. so I think. This is an interesting one because as you watch the movies, as you read the books, you know, in the comics, there's various levels of exposure to their intelligence and their sentience, right? There's never like a, well, there's a couple of situations where you get an understanding that the queen can really kind of have a, you know, deeper cognitive levels, but right. uh, versus just animal instincts yeah. that the, uh, you know, the warrior castes have. But, um, you know, one could argue that they actually have a level of sentience. They know what they're doing. They don't care. Um, they, they know that they're, they're very, you know, they're a destructive race. They're, their whole lives are built on the consumption of others. Tyranids is, is an example of this, right, in the Warhammer yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, they don't have laws in any sense of the world of the word but um but uh they do know that they are destroying the lives of others around them and so see see i i, I understand your hesitation on this and i don't yeah. think that xenomorph is a good example of this well i think I, when, yeah. I think when you have a bestial character is it like is a wolf evil by nature because they're trying like they're trying to eat is a bear evil by nature? Like in D and D, they are because they're going to attack the characters. You know what I mean? And that's the way that they're written in the RPG. But that doesn't mean that they necessarily are evil or not. I mean, they're living their animal instincts. I actually think a better version of this is an orc. Okay, I think an orc is neutral evil um, because they are they they just kind of go out and destroy things. You know what I mean? And they are wanton destroyers. And more often than not, they don't care about laws or stuff. They'll fight amongst each other just as much as they go fight somewhere else, you know, just to destroy. So, yeah, um, this is, yeah, this is why I would say the Tyranids are a better example, just because the Tyranids have been developed into higher cognitive sentience with the that's Hive. True. Right. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They communicate. They, you know. Yeah, and for those and... that don't know, the Tyranids are basically the Xenomorphs in the Warhammer 40k universe. Yeah, spacefaring uh, on their own accord versus being carried from area to area. So but yeah. what Google is telling me is neutral evil alignment is pure pragmatism without honor and without variation. It's survival of the ruthless. So it's Ooh, I'm, yeah. I'm pragmatically, I'm just going to do this. I need to get it done. It doesn't matter how. I, the means don't. The, uh, the nothing about the no it's moral all about code the, it, it's just gonna happen it's all about the ends it's never about the means just get to where you're going and which is probably why like bestial animals like wolves can be categorized as that yeah maybe because they don't care they're just i need to eat i'm gonna eat you see and i just i don't know if i like i don't know if i like that I, that much but my point it's gotta I be mean, sentient that's, you know, Every, all these conversations i have do to be i agree can you, you have an alignment sure. if you're not sentient? And I mean, to an extent, I guess wolves are sort of sentient, but let's say humanoid sentient, right? Yeah. You can actually like communicate and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm going back to the orcs. I think the orcs, especially like 40K orcs or Age of Sigmar orcs, 
right? Which are just like, we are going to pull down civilization. Like, we yeah. want everything to burn to the freaking ground. I mean, that's evil right there, right? And it's just like, we're going to do it however the crap we want to. Well, Isn't that chaotic even, evil, though? See, and that's the point. Here we are again going, <sighs> All right. the buckets are the problem. The buckets of the, the this paradigm is the problem. Okay, so let's talk well, about... Well, it's okay to have fuzziness between the boundaries. That's true. It, it is, unless you're 12 years old trying to role-play with a bunch of other 12-year-olds, which is, you know... <laughs> I feel like I feel normal. like you had an experience growing up where no, 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 you had not a bad I didn't play a lot of D&D. I played enough <laughs> D&D, but I did not play a lot of D&D. So chaotic evil... <laughs> 12-year-old Dan, are you chaotic evil? Don't label me! Don't put Don't labels label me. on me. <laughs> well, it's just like... Um, yeah, anyway... Chaotic evil, we've got the Joker, we've got the Heath Ledger Joker from The Dark Knight, which is the, so, the best Joker. I think he's a perfect example. Yeah, I agree. Some men just want to see the world burn, right? Yeah, when he burns all that money, just because. Yeah. Yep. Like, I don't need it. Yep. Yeah. The the talk he had with Harvey in the uh, hospital. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know, all, you make, what did he say? He said, like, you make... You make plans and you tell everybody about the plans and everybody stays calm. He's like, but if you just blow stuff up randomly without telling anyone, you create that chaos, then the whole world churns. And that that is yeah. a very different kind of it's evil really than lawful evil, to be quite yeah. frank. And and, and, I, and I think and I think that that is what shocked so many people in the um, Dark Knight movie is that like they could not figure out so here's oh you know what here's here's a great thing all right let's do this um you had in the first movie oh man this is perfect all right let's start with batman begins you had um what was his name uh um, the bad guy Razagul. lawful evil yeah. he had a code and set of laws and he was going to basically purge gotham because they have strayed from the moral path and they needed cleansing and then then we could put them on the right moral path, right? Like, it was very much like he had a code and laws that he was going to accomplish, but it was very evil, right? I would say he was lawful evil from Batman's perspective. Sure. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, second movie, Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> right? You had chaotic evil with the Joker. Some men just want to see the world burn, right? And that was what, I mean, shocked a lot of people when they watched it. They're like, this guy has no weaknesses you can't bribe him you can't reason with him you can't like you know negotiate with him he just needs to be stopped you know and that's kind of how it was third movie with bane was in my opinion neutral evil because because he um one he was not operating for any laws he was operating solely for the um uh his his mistress who was um uh what was it talia yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um right he was operating yeah, solely right, for her right 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 so it wasn't pragmatism for any kind survival. of love yeah yeah pragmatism survival and totally evil so i think he is probably one of the best neutral evils out there and think about it like that dude was like people were shocked by him because he was a super smart dude that was just pure evil. Like he was just doing all sorts of bad stuff. And you're like, oh, we can't get one step ahead of him. Batman couldn't get one step ahead of him. 
you know, because he was very pragmatic. He he wasn't about the lawful things or the chaos. He was just like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, beca- and it was very selfish because he was doing it for his lover. I prefer the Bane know? from Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that that Bane ended up being more like Juggernaut, you know. He's like smash. Yeah, no, great conversation. So, I, I look, yeah. this is a lot of fodder for conversation. If you go into Google Images and click on, you know, evil, good, evil alignment, everybody puts together a nine grid chart. There's one from The yeah. Office. There's oh, six from Batman. Tons from Marvel. I, yeah. I it's. It's like an exercise. It's a thought exercise that has some. It's fun in some real way. Yeah, my favorite is the Downton Abbey one. Oh, nice! That's great. <laughs> um, I think if you are trying, if you're if you're struggling on how to role play your character, and you know what kind of alignment you want them to have because of whatever backstory that they had and stuff, something like that. Um, but you're trying to figure out like, okay, what would this person do? Go to one of your favorite IPs and look up one of these grids because, because you're going to know like, Hey, uh, the office, like, let's say I know the office really, yeah. really well. You're going to be like, Oh my gosh, that's such an Angela thing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, okay, I understand where she's coming from on that. So like use those tools to inform like how you feel about the alignment. Yeah. And realize as we pointed out, but just by talking with this, there's a lot of fuzzy gray lines in here. Okay, a lot of fuzzy green uh, It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've I've expressed my opinion enough. I will shut it. I will stow it. <laughs> That's great. That's cool. great. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. Go out, play some D and D, make your characters with tons of alignment, and play according to that. And if you don't, you're a bad person. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you encourage a 12-year-old player to play chaotic evil. Do some good <laughs> yeah. in the world, not. Right. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great night. See ya.